The Anton Savage Show on News Talk. Brian Burke is with us. Good morning, Brian. How are you? Morning, Anton. Do you How travel you? by bicycle ever? Do I travel? All the by time. bicycle? All the time. Do yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, Oh, yeah. good. I suggested you had come in on your bike and I didn't know. But you do use a bicycle on, on, I, yeah, on occasion. The, the bike from the Midlands is a bit problematic, though. You You're know? a fit man. You could do it. Just start at four o'clock in the morning. You'd be fine. <laughs> so, as always, we have buckets of questions coming in for you. We'll try to get through as many as we can. Anton, can you ask about daffodils? This is the third year since I planted, but it's mostly green shoots and very little in the way of flowers, says Dave, who adds that he's in Mayo. So I don't know if his locality makes a difference. It could, it could do. Again, we have very localised soil conditions in this country. The West being typically poor, the poorer soil than regions in the Midlands and the, West, and the East Coast. But what, what we're talking about there is a phenomenon called bulb blindness, right? So where you plant, you plant bulbs, but they never flower, right? There can be several reasons for it. They mightn't be low enough. The soil mightn't be sufficiently well drained. It could be compacted soil. Um, it could be just infertile soil. I would say feed it up this, this, this year. Try and experiment with a general compound fertilizer. Get it on there. Sprinkle something like blood, fish and, and bone meal um, or an all round compound fertilizer. Spread it on the area. Um, if you can alleviate compaction, aerate the area with a fork or with a mechanised aerator if you have one. I would say that's that's probably the reason. They're is, not is this why in Jambi Keen's The Field they were laying seaweed across the, the ground? This is to, to act as feed for what would otherwise be infertile ground. Absolutely. Seaweed is a brilliant organic fertiliser for infertile ground. Seaweed, bloodfish and bone meal, general fertiliser. Something with a nice balance of the three main, the three, the three amigos, the three musketeers, NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus and potassium. There are macronutrients. Your soil isn't going to perform unless it's got a nice balance of those. Hi, says a text. I have grub worms that have eaten half my grass. They crawl out at night. How do I treat them and restore my lawn back? What's a grub worm? A grub worm is a little white um, organism that lives just below the surface of the soil and they love the roots of grass. They love, they love organic material just below the surface. You can treat them again with a three-in-one treatment, um, like a... A moss killer, a feed, and a weed killer. They will. You can also get a specialised grub killer. But if you do it an, an overall kind of compound three-in-one treatment on your lawn, it tends to take care of the grubs. It'll invigorate the root zone of the lawn and kick it back into gear for the, for the season ahead. It's not a specialised grub killer, but it will inv- reinvigorate the lawn and kind of overpower the grubs. Lawns seem to be a big issue. They seem to be on people's minds at the moment. Another one saying, "Can I cut the grass now, or do I still have to wait?" I was told a year ago not to cut before end of April. Now, hang on a minute. No. I've talked to you, but I've listened yep. to you on this before <laughs> and you've said, cut away. You've said, keep or cut during the winter. I'm a big advocate, if you can, of keeping your grass trimmed over the winter. Now, I know it's sometimes not possible. The ground is soggy and it's not that inviting. It's Ireland. Everything yeah. gets damp in October and yeah. stays that way till now. And the lawnmower hates wet grass. We know that. But look at this morning now. The sun is shining. It, we're, on the ver- we're on the cusp of April. Get out there, cut your grass. But listen, don't scalp it. Don't don't hack it too low for the first the first cut. Cut it high and try and come down incrementally over a few cuts, but never cut it too low, right? Why? Cutting cutting your grass too low causes a couple of problems. There's a pattern emerging with our weather over the last few years where we're we're in the inevitably gonna get a six, seven, eight week dry period later in the in the season. That's just the way it's going, our summers, right? If your grass is too low, 
there's no protection. The soil is going to dry out big time. You're going to get drought. You're going to get browning and yellowing of your grass. If you leave your grass reasonably long, it offers a bit of protection for the soil below. Also, it gives it gives less of an opportunity for weed seed to invade. If you have really scalped low grass, there's bare patches of ground there that weed seed can invade quite easily. So keep it reasonably high. Keep it lush. Keep it at a reasonable height. It's going to help with weed seed and it's also, also going to help with drying out and drought conditions. Um, uh, there's a coupling on hydrangeas, coupling on bare root trees. One uh, about, I suppose this is construction as much as it is gardening. Yeah. The main path down the middle of my garden is coarse mulch, but with all the wet weather, I'm thoroughly sick of it. <laughs> what are the options for a solid path and how would I go about it? Okay, well, that's that's a pretty wide open question. There's so many options out there, right? If you look, if you go down to your paving supplier uh, or go down to Woody's or go down to any of these places, you'll see a massive range of material. It kind of, bro- it divides broadly into three or four areas, right? So you have precast material. You can get pre-made precast flagstones in or around 16 inches square, 400 millimetres. You can get smaller units, Cobblock, we call them. Or you can get smaller units, again, products like Inish, which are about 50 mil wide and about 200 mil long, right? Now, the product product that this person needs to choose kind of depends on the agility of the product that they require. If it's a straight shot, you can go with a big unit, like a 16-inch square slab. But if it's maybe more arced, more curvaceous, more serpentine, you want something with a bit more agility. So a smaller unit, like an inish or a small cobblock or something like that, that's going to weave its way down. Surface preparation is all important. Dig out the soil. The rule of thumb for substrate uh, for pedestrian traffic is about 100 mil of what we call hardcore, Clause 804. Compact it, about four inches, right? The rule, if, if there's going to be tra- vehicular traffic on that, there's about 150 mil to 200. But this, it sounds like it's a pedestrian situation. 100 mil of compacted hardcore, about 20 mil of what we call paving sand, which is a mixture of regular sand and a little three millimeter pebble. That just provides the bedding layer on the top of the compacted material. Screed that off with a straight edge, a four foot level, a piece of straight wood, whatever, and lay your material straight onto it. That's dry laid. You'll notice there was no cement in that or no concrete. You can also go with something a little bit more elaborate, uh, natural stone. Natural stone comes in two main forms. You have the rustic, uh, version of it which is varying thicknesses varying size irregular sides you can also get the machined version of limestone or sandstone which is more regular 20 mil thick and machined edges looks pricey like I'd imagine a pricey. bit more pricey but looks like tile really nice sharp finish so if it's a contemporary look you're going for it depends as well on the character of the garden what you're going to choose there is going to be dependent on what the overall look is something rustic something serpentine something arcing weaving an antique brick or something modern like porcelain uh, paving. If you're going in a sand bed, do you finish the joints with paving sand? Finish the joint with joints with kiln-dried sand. Yeah, it's a, it's sweeping in sand. They'll call it down at the local builders providers. That comes in various colours. You can get a silver if you're going with something like a black paver or a silver granite paver, something like that. You can get that sand in silver to complement the, the look of the pavers. And don't jet wash it back out. The amount of times you see people pressure washing all the sand back out of their joints. Exactly. And now, if you're going with porcelain or a tile, and the the, the joints or grout, grouted, bear in mind that's impervious to water. So every drop of water that hits that has to be shifted somewhere. If you go with the dry laid option, that'll take a shower because it'll dissipate down through those swept in joints. And of course, if you're going to grout it, make sure you put a fall on it so that you're not creating your own pond. Exactly. Is it too late in the year to plant bare root trees, particularly for hedging, asks Anthony. Yeah, we're on the also cusp. Also in Galway. We're on the cusp. If you go to a bare root supplier now, you will see them in the sand bed in, in, in situ at the supplier's yard and they're starting to bud 
bud. They're starting to blossom. I put in some hawthorn there last week and they're starting to burst already and some alder the week before that. They're already taking. So we're on the cusp, right? The key is... When you pick them up, make sure, this is critical, make sure that the roots don't dry out. They're fibrous roots, there's no growing material around them, they need to be kept wet. So as you're planting them, if you're planting a large quantity out in a field or along a run of hedge somewhere, immerse them in a five gallon bucket or something like that as you work and take them out. Because if if they dry up, they die, do they? If they dry up, they die. Don't keep them dunked, keep them saturated until that moment before they go in the ground. That one on hydrangeas. Any hints for pruning? Hydrangeas. Pruning hydrangea. Well, it depends on the variety of hydrangea, right? What is a hydrangea? A hydrangea is a shrub, a beautiful mop-headed flowering shrub, come in various colours, can be blues, can be mauves, can be pinks, can be whites, depending, get this, on the acidity of your soil. No, right. that's what controls the colour, yeah. is it? The bluer, the bluer the the the, uh, the flower, the more acid your soil. The pinker or the uh, the more purple, the uh, the more uh, alkaline your soil. So if you have hydrangeas are neutral. So if you have hydrangeas in your garden and you don't know your soil acidity, if you look at them now, you'll be able to get a hint on whether you're acid or alkaline. Exactly, and a lot of people will try and localize soil conditions to create a particular type of colour on their blooms. You know, typically the way we want to go is from pink too blue. People like the blue. They're, 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 uh, they're more unusual, they're more novel, so people go to the blue. But on pruning, it depends on the variety of hydrangea. There's different types. So hydrangea macrophylla, that flowers on last year's wood, right? The hydrangea paniculata is a different type. That'll flower on current season's wood. So the paniculata needs to be pruned right now because that's going to flower on new growth that it puts on this season. The macrophylla that flowers on last year's wood, you want to wait, listen, you want to wait until after that's finished flowering, then prune it, because you're maximising the amount of wood that it's going to create for next season, therefore maximising the amount of flowers. This happens every time. Every time I think, I think I'm getting a handle on this, I bet you I sort of know most of what Brian knows at this point, I could probably be a gardener. You whip out something like that, how is somebody meant to know whether their hydrangea is flowering on last year's growth or next year's growth? Like, other than having you in the house, how do we find out? (laughs) Well, if you've been living with it and you've been walking by it every day on the way in and out of the house, you'll get to know its habits. You'll get to figure out what's happening with it, you know, and you'll be able to see. And you'll you'll get in tune, you'll develop, you'll get get into a rhythm with it and you'll understand it. So what then characterises a new wood flower versus an old wood flower? Is it time of the year that they flower or is it how the flowers look? Yeah, well, plants like, say, for example, I'll give you another couple of examples. Fuchsia and Budley are a good example, right? Fuchsia and Budley need to be pruned really hard right now because they flower on the growth that they're just about to to put out, right? They're going to start growing vigorously now over the next few weeks and they're going to flower on that new growth later this season, okay? So you don't want them trying to flower on little stubs of new growth that's coming onto old growth because you're going to minimise the amount of flowers. You want new wood, new flowers, right? So in order to create that new wood, you prune them hard now, right? Old wood, flowers, plants that flower on old wood, you wait until they're finished flowering. So they're going to create the flowers later this season on wood that was that grew last year, right? So the minute they're done flowering, in order to maximise the amount of flowers you create next year, you get in straight away when they're finished flowering, prune them back, maximise the amount of wood, maximise the amount of flowers next season. Text asking, 
Uh, can you ask if I should spray grass before sowing wildflower seed? I assume that means spray it to kill it before putting oh, down wildflower seed, no, does it? That's a no, 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 no. I definitely wouldn't advocate spraying grass before wildflower seed. Do you have seed to get rid that. of the grass before putting wildflower seed down? You, okay, it depends on whether it's an annual wildflower meadow or a perennial. Okay, if, if that person wants to create a permanent wildflower meadow, meadow, there's a process you go through. And there's a magic plant called ranunculus. It's called yellow rattle, right? It's a carnivorous plant. Right, so get carnivorous in, plant. Get get in there. Hold on, <laughs> get get in there. Strip as much of the existing grass as you can, and then fill the area with yellow rattle. And what that will do is it'll overpower the grass, right? And you leave it for a couple of seasons. It'll basically devour the existing grass, right? So the last thing you want with a wildflower meadow is your wildflowers competing with grass, with scotch and rye and strong varieties of grass. So you want to deplete that as much as possible. If this is going to be a permanent meadow that's going to you want it to survive a number of years. It has to be a process, so be patient with it, deplete it, strip the grass that's there, pack it with yellow rattle, give it a couple of seasons, and then follow on with the nice mix of wildflower blends that you want to, uh, that you want to do. There's, there's, as always, buckets. Real quick one. I want to plant potatoes. What do I need to do? And is it true they need to be in around St. Patrick's Day or is that just a guy? Why? Have you seen the shops? They're neck deep in spuds grown by people who are specialists in the area. That person mentioned St. Patrick's Day. That's a guide, right? There's... Again, it's it's not straightforward. Oh, <laughs> damn it, Brian. <laughs> there's two types. There's earlies and there's main crops, right? The rule of thumb for early potatoes, things like Home Guard, um, things like Duke of York, St. Patrick's Day, mid-March, right? Those are new potatoes, the small potatoes. They take about 14 weeks, right? Main crop is what, what everyone's interested in. Things like Maris Piper, Records, Golden Wonders. Get them in mid to late April. They take about 18 weeks. You're a hell of a man for one man, Brian. Thank you, as always. That is our resident gardening expert, Brian Burke. And as always, there's more questions than we could get to. We will try to gather them up, and the next time he's back, we'll hit them with all of them. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday morning at 9 on News Talk.